This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am Janice Leibovitz. You are my People of the Book and amazing guest today and a book that is really, really disrupting the market. A youth marketing expert, global activist and investor, among many other things, Ronin Ayres. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Janice. Thanks for having me. An absolute pleasure. You're very welcome. And your new book, Breach, asks us to look at how the next generation is consciously disrupting the world. Wow, that sounds dangerous and exciting all at once. So to be specific, this book is all about Gen Z, Generation Z, or Generation Z, as we South Africans would say, but I think it's become more common to call them Z. Is that correct? Yeah, we can call them Gen Z and as South Africans, we can call them my 2000s also. Oh. So it's you, you get kind of rough estimate is people who are born from 1996 onwards. But generally, when we talk about Gen Z, the younger generation that were born from the year 2000 onwards. Okay. So, cause yeah, when I looked this up, it said Generation Z was 97 to 2012. Those born between those years. And then you also mentioned millennials. So those were born between 1981 and 1996. Those like, like me who uh, are Generation X. And, and we're born between 1965 and 1980. Where did these terms come from? Who put these terms together? I mean, who decided on these names? You know, it's quite funny. I've spent over 20 years in, in the youth category. So the 18 to 25 year old category. So I've moved with the X's, millennials, Gen Z's, et cetera. I don't know who actually came up with it, but I've just had the privilege of, of spending time in all these different generations. So. I've kind of moved along with them. So as each new cohort comes through, I get to know uniqueness and their preferences and their characteristics and what makes them special and what makes them irritating. It's not always like a seamless, harmonious interaction between generations. You have things that that different generation wows you, and then you have things that literally cause like a visceral allergic reaction to something you'd need like an antihistamine for emotionally. But what struck me about this book in particular, I mean, you're saying this Gen Z, these are, are these up and coming young people who are set to disrupt. They have a different way of thinking. They do things differently and it's either accepted, get out the way, or you are just going to be trampled on. But doesn't every generation come with that? Every generation is different from the one before. Yeah. So if you look at us as evolutionary kind of species, it's true. Each each generation is an iteration of the one before. So we stand on the shoulders of those that come before us. But what's different and especially different with this generation is so young generations, by definition, will be kind of challenger generations. So they're challenging the norm and the status quo. But what we're seeing specifically in this generation is that they're a lot more ambitious. They're a lot more um, unapologetic about their views. They're a lot more, they appreciate authenticity. And in a world of, you could say, a lot of fake news and falseness, they, they seek the truth. So they know they've got a higher purpose mission of fixing up the world, this messed up world that they were born into. And so they come in primed with these kind of values and preferences to come in and be part of the solution and call out those who believe they believe are part of the problem. So if you have a look at it, I like to look at it in terms of a software upgrade. 
So you know when you get a new phone or a new laptop, what changes? What was different from your old phone to your new phone? So usually there's new features. So there's new cool things it can do. And it also, in the software upgrade, it usually fixes some bugs and creates a few more bugs. And so basically what I look at as each generation is a software upgrade where previous bugs are fixed, some of them, and there are new features that are that are added. And and so this generation comes primed as a collective for making a difference. I am Janice Leibovitz and this is People of the Book. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. This is People of the Book and my guest today is Ronen Ayres. And what you've said about this generation that is, is very different is that they come, they've come into the world with completely different factory settings. And I, I love that. If you want to get a sense of the future, I always believe look youngwards. Look to see how young people are behaving. Look, look at their preferences. Look at how they do things. Look what they find important because they are the future. So when you look at their factory settings, it's very interesting. So one is they're generally positive, they're ambitious, and they're anxious. They're highly mobile, so they don't they necessarily stay in relationships, in jobs. In um, they're not as loyal and committed as previous generations. They're a lot more transactional. And but what's really beautiful about them is is around values. Is that with many of their purchases, with many of their preferences, so whether it's buying sneakers, buying clothes, or um, supporting certain brands and causes, they're very specific about the, their values and the values match of the company that they're transacting with. So be it a bank, a sneaker company, or whether they're going to take employment up at a company, they want to make sure that there's a values alignment. And so it's almost like, Brands and businesses can't afford to ignore this market because you do say at your own peril because we're living in a world of cancel culture where if you do the wrong thing or you stay quiet where you should be saying something and taking a stand, you can get taken out. Absolutely. And you mention all these things throughout the book. And and I love the structure of your book because you've broken it up into sections and within each section you've got these chapters and at the end of each chapter you have this lovely block which you've called tips and takeaways and they're these bullet points that just you know short bullet points of what you take from each chapter and then throughout each chapter there's blocks with with lovely quotes and and just you know highlighted points that come with each chapter but all these things you've just mentioned are scattered throughout the book like the authentic authentic will be cancelled and uh, your idea about the anxiety and the loyalty and this is scattered all throughout the books and these are actually all points that I've I've made to chat about so we were raised like you say um with uh in, in this culture of because I said so and, you know, we listened, we were told, do this, do that. And I think one of the worst things and something that, that I think always makes the hair on the back of my neck stand on end is we do it because it's always been done like this. And this is the absolute antithesis and the opposite of, of the way this generation works. And this is the breach that you're talking about. This is, this is the opposite of the way that they operate. By the way, we come from the same generation. So I feel <laughs> your pain. 
Um, I think we were brought up on autopilot in many ways, and our parents were just kind of emotionally unavailable to us in the ways that we needed. And so what happens is our unmet needs in the next generation kind of get overcompensated. So whatever we didn't get, we overcompensate with our kids. And so we were brought up, I was unaware if there was a drop-down menu that no was an option. We were only allowed to agree. Yes. Or disagree in silence. And so where this generation has kind of outed many things. So many of the things that we think or we keep shtum about, this generation are very outspoken. So around fairness, around social justice, racism, gender equality, fluidity, mental health issues, all of it is kind of pervasive and, and I find that it's beautiful that, that we can speak about it and that it's our role as I call young elders. So we've got a lot to learn, yet we have so much experience. And where things get really challenging with between generations is when it's like, do it my way. And so I used to get called into boardrooms and, and executive teams when um, they just hired a new cohort of graduates. And they were very excited when they came in. They came in and... And within a month or two, they felt, who are these aliens that we've hired? And really what they, what they were brought, they brought me into was to help them understand their preferences and their differences. But I think the underlying tone was, how do you make them like us? That's how older generations think. Yes. How do we, be, how do we make them like us? And bring, I think, yeah, you have to bring them into the culture of the company and, yeah. and yeah, make them blend. They had to blend yeah. in. Yeah, and you, you've got to, they've got to assimilate to us. Yes. And really what I see as the role of the young elders, so us that have had experience, is to kind of to use our experience and our wisdom to guide this younger generation that have unique abilities and skills, but not necessarily to imprint them with our own belief systems. So not to necessarily think that what you believe is necessarily the truth or, or correct, but to really understand their point of view, the younger generation's point of view, and then help them get there together. Because if we co-create a future together, we will probably fix up a lot of the problems that we have today, probably create a world that we both want to live in. Absolutely. And and this world, that, that world, I mean, it's talk about it in the book, and you say that the world is in constant chaos. You can't control the future. And we've got to learn to survive and we've got to learn to thrive within that world. And you talk about the principles of evolution, which are actually, you've got four principles. They're actually four abilities. So what are those abilities? Wait, I don't want to go through all of those now, but it's <laughs> briefly. I mean, they, they are just, they're four because I mean, they're, they're not principles. I mean, they're, they're abilities. People need to have these abilities in order to thrive because I've read the book and yeah. hopefully there are lots of business leaders who read the book. Personally, I think it should be prescribed reading for all educators as well. And we're going to yeah. get to that, the, the, the education side of it. But what are you going to do with people who don't think like this? They're going to fall by the wayside, right? Yeah. So, so recently I went to a game reserve. You just have to watch a herd of elephants to see like how nature deals with this kind of stuff. And so when you see the old elephant bull that's cast out and he has to go fend for himself and he's now outdated stock, that's, that really speaks a lot about um, the kind of 
masculine energy or the older gener- generations, they kind of become outdated. You kind of reach your sell-by date. And if you're not willing to re-challenge your own belief systems, um, to refresh your own outlook on the world and life, you can just become irrelevant. And it's up to us. I think living in a disruptive, chaotic world, we have to reinvent ourselves multiple times in our lifetime. So where the generations before us used to probably have one gig for their whole lifetime, one one job, the kind of world that we're living in now and going into, we will have numerous iterations of what we do, and they could be totally different. Because either what we do will become irrelevant or, um, or new things that will come out that will, will be um, along your passion sets or along your, um, your um, skill sets. And so really going into the future, what people need to be is one is resilient. So change is constant. We can't actually predict anything. And really the, the one thing that we need to teach youth and we need to make sure that we're stronger in ourselves is our resilience, just our ability to get up when we get knocked down and, and to really strengthen that muscle in terms of our mental strength in dealing with constant chaos and challenge and disruption. Absolutely. And one of the ways to do that and to accept that this generation is coming in with their ideas and their differences and the, their different abilities and and their disruption, let's say, is to dispel the many myths um, about them. And we've got to open our minds and grow. And that's how we move forward. And there are three myths. And I thought that these myths were but so, so true. And the way that you turn these around to use them positively, I think for me that this was one of the highlights of the book. I am Janice Leibovitz, and this is People of the Book. I love it when you this is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. This is People of the Book, and my guest today is Ronen Ayres. We're talking about Ronen Ayres' new book, Breach, how the next generation is constantly, are consciously disrupting the world. And for me, dispelling the myths is, as I say, one of the highlights. And I'm going to just tell you briefly what the three myths are. The three myths are that youth lack loyalty and patience that they're addicted to technology and social media, and that youth are entitled. And what Roland has said in the book is that what if, in order to dispel these myths, we turn them around and we just get rid of all the negativity around these things and make them positive? And I thought that was fabulous. Which one stood out for you the most? Um, Which one stood out for me? Well, I think for me, because I work with a lot of social media and marketing, I think the one about being addicted to technology and social media stood out for me. Yeah. Especially the the story that you gave about being at that waterfall. Yeah. And if you're listening Um, and you're wondering what I'm talking about, yes, you do have to buy the book so that you know what the story about the waterfall is about. Okay. I'm happy to tell it if you want. (laughs) You can, okay. You can tell, tell the story about the waterfall because to me that did, that did stand out. But please go buy the book, but I'll tell the waterfall story. So, (laughs) So a friend of mine and I, we happened to be away. We happened to be in deep nature in Hogsback in the Eastern Cape. And we're going on a hike and, and the hike is to this beautiful waterfall. We're talking like stuff that you see in Avatar. You know, there's forests and there's like this massive waterfall. 
and you get there and, you know, you have to hike quite a while to get there and you get there and the awe of this like volume of water coming down. It's just so incredible that, that we literally, we were speechless when we saw this. And so we took it in and we were like, wow, this is incredible. Took one or two pictures of, of each other there, dumped our phones and hopped in our cozies and headed straight into the water and connected with this awesome force of the waterfall and the water and, and, and being in beautiful nature. And I kept on, there, there were a few other people then and there was, it was a young girl there. She was a she was a late teen, and she happened to be sitting on a rock. And literally, she was posing like this. She she would, she must have taken about three hundred pictures in the time that we were swimming. You know, trying to get the exact angle that would really be, would really capture the moment, so that she could share it with her audience. And I think really the, this speaks a lot about like you've got to give it to. Her. She was still in nature, but she wasn't totally present in the moment. Finding her moment was capturing it so that she can share and look good to her people where we were, we couldn't wait to toss our technology away and, and immerse ourselves with nature. And there, therein lies a lot of the understanding is that the younger generation don't know a world without technology. And so they are as comfortable in the tech as they are in the real world. So the virtual world and real world for them are the same. And sometimes a virtual world could be even more important. And so for her to be there and not capture this unique content that probably none of her other friends were, you know, she was missing out on a massive opportunity to gain a lot of traction where we were the opposite. We couldn't wait to get rid of it so that we could really like connect with nature. But as you said in the book, it didn't mean that she was experiencing it any less. It was just no. a different experience. She she was so happy. And like we were like trying not to be judgy. <laughs> and I think we equally had a great experience, but it was just so different. I love that. That to me just says it all. Um, but going back to, to the point about youth lacking loyalty and patience, you, you say it serves them. It serves them to be like that. And maybe it's us imposing our values on them. What I've seen in the world is, especially in the corporate world, you know, in the working world and with brands, um, in my business student village, we're, we're asked to help brands to, to come up with strategies to attract young people into their businesses. And, and here it's been, it's like a dating game, except young people expect companies to kind of woo them as if they're going to get married and young people treat the companies like they're on Tinder. And so it's very asymmetrical and it's not, it's, it's kind of not fair, but it's from their point of view, they're expecting the company to do a, a lot more work getting to know them in making sure that they, that there's a values alignment. And really what we're seeing these days, here's the irony. This is what got me to write the book. For all these years that I've been telling you for, for over 20 years, I've been, I've been helping organizations understand younger people. And for at least 10 years, um, young people have been asking for flexibility in the workplace. They've been saying, why should we be chained to our desk the whole day from eight to five? Um, why can't we just finish what we're doing and go home? Why do we have to work from the office? Why can't we work from a coffee shop? Do we have to work every day? Why, why don't we have more agency over our time? 
And then what happens is a pandemic comes, forces us all inside. We're all suddenly on Zoom. And that's what made me realize that it, all the things and the habits that we were forced into change. Young people have been asking for this for years. Yeah. And we were just not prepared to entertain it and not prepared to listen. And so really what you'll find with young people is like our generation, we grinned and bared things. Like, so it was, we were taught, you know, just work harder. If you're frustrated, try harder. There was no quitting. There was no, um, it was not about passion or enjoyment. This was just about your responsibility. Yeah. You had to provide and just keep your head down and work and stop complaining. This generation needs so much attention when they're in the workforce. Like, I also speak about a new position that should be formed, and that's a momager. A momager. And so young people are looking from, from their managers to resemble the ideal parent, the parental figure. So that nurturing parents that will really help them and be there and almost like dish out participation medals every day, you know. And, and so it's young people are, so they're not there to grin and bear it. And you can argue they, they may lack resilience, but in some facets, they just, they, they're like, if it doesn't work for them, if there's a values breach for them, or they feel they're not going anywhere with this job, they're out. They'd rather be at home than be unhappy. And you, you mentioned this, this whole thing with the, the momager and wanting, um, you know, gold stars for, for doing their job. And, and you talk about them also wanting appreciation and getting credit for, for basic things like adulting, um, you yeah. know, for, for basic life management and life skills, yeah. things like, um, you know, getting up, going to work. Shopping for groceries, arriving. paying the bills, you are arriving, showing up. Yeah. And also, um, just on that, the last myth, um, believing that youth are entitled and you say, who made them that way? Whose fault is that? Yeah. It's ours. So, yeah. When, when the penny drops that we created this problem, yeah. it, usually, it usually creates that, um, like on Zoom, you go and mute when you realize, <laughs> okay, it was, I created this. Okay. I was the problem. And, um, I think, I think we've brought up, you know, they speak a lot about the helicopter parent. Yes. And so while you and I were probably, um, raised on autopilot with a very long, if not any leash, I think there was a major overcompensation where, where we don't let our kids out of our sight. And so they almost become dependent on us for every need. Mark, can I do this? Dad, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do, this? you know, we don't, don't let them move and get out of our sight. So that kind of behavior comes into the workplace. But not only so, for every need, but also to sort out every single problem that crops up because they can't do it for yeah. themselves. And so really like the, the, the biggest service that we can do for them is actually give them room to, to find, to find their own wings, help them to fly, help them to fail and to recover quickly. And, and to really become more independent and knowing that they've, they've been brought up in a world with technology. Um, you know, that what they, a lot of people ask me, like, what about South Africa? What about young people in South Africa? And the truth is probably at least half will leave because that at least that's, yeah. that's, that's the reality. Yes. But generally what you see in the world now is, is there's also difficulties all over the world. Absolutely. So 
with technology, things have changed. So you can now take courses remotely. So you can stay in South Africa and learn overseas. And you can also, you can also have freelance work or work for companies from South Africa that are based overseas. And so the, the shifting pattern. So that's why we have to teach our younger generation how to stand on their feet. We need to help them to be more resilient and we have to help them to deal with their mental health and their anxiety so that they can go out into the world and and create magic. Okay, that that was my next point was this mental health and anxiety issue and and technology that connects them but ironically also creates this culture of aloneness. Yeah. And even before COVID in 2017 there was a survey done that said that 792 million young adults worldwide identified themselves as having a mental health disorder. That's approximately, that was at the time, approximately 10% of the global youth population. That's huge. And I'm sure that's increased. Definitely. I mean, that, that was five years ago, six years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, 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 I mean, that, that's massive. So as much as it connects them, this, this generation that's been born with technology, it also disconnects them. And there's, there's nothing, I think, with technology. So what it does is it connects everyone. So it, it lowers all the boundaries and the fences globally. So, so you can find your tribe globally through technology and you can be anywhere in the world. But at the same time, like even if you speak to, to influencers, so one of the biggest growing categories of young people, that what, what do they want to be? They want to be a social media influencer. If you speak to influencers, who are they behind their posts? They are generally depressive, hugely yeah. anxious around the success of their posts um, and, and really like riddled with issues. And, and so, so while we're hugely connected, the good old oxytocin of, of old school connection when we connect with each other in warm hearted ways. We've lost uh, it. We lost it in many ways. And so, and so while young people lost out probably two years of real socialization. And I think we're only feeling the, the tail of COVID now from a mental health perspective. Yeah. Like, I think we're picking up a huge amount of issues. I think anxiety, depression, suicide rates are up. Like these are all the result of what we've come through. And, and we're far from, we're far from um, the other side. Like we're, we're, we're certainly um, in the thick of it. Yeah. But you've also said that, that the anxiety um, stems from the fact that this generation is more financially aware and they're more stressed about financial matters than previous generations. They're more aware of what goes on in their homes um, around finances and financial oh. issues. And and that that suggests, and I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go into to a whole rant about our school system and our education system, but it does suggest that there should be financial literacy that should be taught in our schools. And it's it's not being done. I mean, basic financial literacy, like how to pay your bills, how to fill in a tax return, things like yeah. that. Yeah, I think I think it goes even even further. You're absolutely right. I think the first of all, I think this young generation has seen many global financial crisis crises. Um, they've seen households under tremendous financial pressure. They've seen 
um, marriages and relationships fall apart. Yes. And so they've kind of seen the underbelly of, of a world going through a tough, tough patch. And so they, they've kind of been brought up um, without the rose-tinted glasses about the world. And, and so they're, they're very aware of, of um, kind of how, how much things cost, um, how difficult it is to make it out there. They're probably not going to leave home as early as they wish. And what you're seeing overseas is um, people getting married much later. They're moving out of home much later because they, they're under huge college debt. Yeah. And so, and so without going too much into the school system, you know, really what they need to be, um, the whole thing needs to change, you know, from, we call it the sage, the, the sage on the stage to the guard on the side. And so, and really where things are going is, is facilitated learning where students will be learning amongst each other. They should be learning about all the different things that, that, um, data science, analytics, all the stuff that is needed in the new world. I am Janice Leibovitz, and this is People of the Book. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. This is People of the Book, and my guest today is Ronen Ayres. What I said in the beginning about educators should all read this book. I mean, it should be prescribed reading for them, not only from, from that perspective, but also so that they understand how to work with this generation in the classroom because mm. I'm, I'm quite sure that for educators, there is a vast difference between these learners in the classroom from previous learners. I'm sure they're seeing a huge difference in, in the way these learners react and interact um, compared to learners in previous years. So that's why I'm saying this book should be prescribed reading for every single educator. Absolutely. Um, and, and if you think that it's that I'm talking about like science fiction and, and some some stage in the future. There's actually a school in Johannesburg called Centennial that launched last year. Yes, and, and I'm really sorry I wasn't able to be at the launch. Unfortunately, I was in hospital. I mean, I was meant to be there, but um, unfortunately, I couldn't be. So I was very really disappointed to miss it. Sorry, but I'm probably going to take a tour there soon. So I'll give you a shout. And oh, that'll be great. What excited me about the place and why why we decided to launch there was they actually put all of this in practice. And so you have facilitators as teachers, you have a combination of technology-based learning, blockchain learning, um, creating, all, all working within the syllabus. And they also have this huge gaming center where they teach oh, collaboration, wow. leadership and everything through gaming. But you can't act, you can't access the esports lab until you've done yoga or CrossFit or some kind of exercise. They've kind of got the model right of of the best of both worlds: new yeah. style teaching through facilitation, but also not forgetting that we can't we can't ignore our bodies and our minds in our mental health. That's amazing because you say that that this generation was born and bred for collaboration and that now we should be teaching a mindset as opposed to these meaningless facts and, and for yeah. meaningless test scores, but they still have to. But that's what the education system is dictating still. So it's amazing to, to hear about a school like that that has turned things around and is doing things differently. And I'm sure that the results show that it works. And I'm sure the results must be incredible and very positive. Yeah. So they're one year old. So I haven't seen their results, but they, when I was there, the, the 
pupils are very happy. That's amazing. And and just as a matter of interest, how many learners do they have? It looked like it was about a hundred last year, and I'm I'm sure it will just exponentially grow from this year onwards. I have no doubt. Oh, I wish them the best of luck because I'm sure that's going to be absolutely incredible. Um, so you also say that the future of leadership could possibly be leaderless, like leaderless leadership. That was quite interesting. And it some of it is leaderless or leaderless. Yes. It's again going back to the principle of the sage on the stage, the all-knowing leader who knows exactly what to do for the business at any time. Yes. And, and I follow that leader, and that's the old model, where what we're seeing now is through a lot of collaboration and a lot of um, more less, it's kind of a decentralized way of running a company. So where it's more... Um, similar like you see in the schools, it's not just the head boy and the head girl. Yes, yes they've moved away from that. Yeah, not all the prefects. They have the, the, the just a, a group of, of student leaders, but they're not it's very different. The student leadership has changed. Yeah, and so so that's how the world of business is changing too. It's not, yes. it's not necessarily changing um, rapidly, but certainly in the tech Yes. In the tech world, um, you're seeing it's a lot more decentralized. So there's a lot less reliance on the leader t- to be all-knowing. It's really about surrounding yourselves with the best teams and getting out of the way. So really helping with the vision, guiding from the side, and, and helping um, the teams to, to really implement the strategy and the vision without, without being in the way. Absolutely. And unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time left. But I just want to end off with this. Um, you said that Erin Dignan wrote that it's a common misperception that people resist change. But he suggested that people don't resist change itself, but they resist incoherent efforts to change. And I'm not sure that I, I, I can absolutely agree with that, because I think there are people who do resist change in all its forms. I think there's a misconception that we love change. I think our brains are patterning devices. It actually wants to deal with the same thing every day. Yes. It prefers not to have any. It's a comfort uh, zone and it's, it's security. Yeah. It's, it's a security blanket. Yeah. So for most people in the world, um, your brain prefers that way and your biology will respond. But in order to grow, we know that we need to, to change and to relook at our beliefs and to work harder at being better versions of ourselves. And I think what Aaron was alluding to was if it's not clear what the change should be like, then people don't know what to do. They don't know how to change. So if you had to stand up in the organization and say to the whole team, guys, we need to change and we need to become tech orientated or data analytical, people won't know what to do with that. Yes. So they need they need kind of the roadmap on how to change and, and the vision, and then it can happen. I think that's what he was talking about, coherent versus incoherent. Oh, right. I get you. I get Because I just, I know that people are like, change. No, no, no. We can't deal with that. That's scary. It's very scary. And um, we don't want that. But I think that the future does look very exciting. And I think the way that you have described it in this book makes the future something to look forward to rather than something to be afraid of and something that we should walk towards rather than something we should back away from. So Ronin Ayres, thank you so much for your time. 
Um, your book, Breach, where is it available? So it's available in exclusive books and take a lot. And from February, it will be all over the shelves. Um, but at the moment, if, if you're, if you're looking for a copy, it's safer to get it online. But from February, it will be all over the shelves. Okay. Everywhere. It's Breach, how the next generation are consciously disrupting the world. Ronin is, thank you so much for your time. It's been fantastic chatting to you. Awesome. Thanks, Janice.